reading, which is from Galatians chapter 3. It's in your bulletin. It's in the Pew Bibles. Galatians 3, I'll read verses 6 through 18. Hear the word of the Lord. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be anyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, it is evident no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers and sisters, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to his offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it is no longer, it no longer comes by promise. And God gave it to Abraham by a promise. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for, uh, This ability to gather here in this space this day, we thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit with us. We thank you for your word, Um, and we ask that you would be uh, present with us this morning as we continue to reflect uh, upon your hand upon our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Reflecting on history is uh, one of the features of Scripture, from Genesis uh, to Revelation. Uh, Large stretches of the Bible are historical documents. But also within the life of the people of God, remembering the mighty deeds of the Lord, which is retelling the history. We've done, that's what we've done here this morning. Okay, and Dr. Foster references the uh, the Passover feast, which is an intentional annual remembering of one of the enormous mighty deeds of the Lord, namely uh, the Exodus. Uh, history and the reflection on history is part of the worship of people of God. All right, so we are here on this earth to praise God and to sing uh, His praises, and we praise Him for what He's accomplished in our lives. That is why we reflect upon history. The whole of creation 
has as its purpose and as its end, as its goal, the praise of God's glorious grace in Christ, on Easter we will, in a special way, as a feast day, be reflecting upon Christ's sacrifice, self-sacrifice, on the cross, and on what all of that accomplishes. Okay, Christ's death on the cross is what makes it possible for us to be free from sin and death and to have a relationship with the Father. And so we keep remembering that and telling that story again and again. I think it's important for us, as God's chosen people, as God's elect, to be thinking about God's hand on our lives in an ongoing way. Now, some people are great journalers. I am not one of these people. Um, but one of the one of the wonderful things about journaling is being able to go back in uh, over time and see what you were thinking about, what you were praying about, and how God has resolved those things uh, over the course of time. Our reading uh, this morning from the Old Testament is the the call of of, of Abram. And this is a foundational story in Scripture, of course. Abram is the is the father of the people of God. The thing to keep in mind here is that Abram is a pagan. Okay, he's not a Jew. He doesn't worship Yahweh. We don't know which gods he worshipped, but he and his people, they worship other gods there in the Ur of the Chaldees. And then Yahweh shows up and speaks to him. And it's important to recognize that Abram doesn't find Yahweh. Abram is not on a spiritual quest seeking Yahweh, but Yahweh comes to Abraham and tells him a number of surprising things. He tells him that uh, he's going to show him a new country where he's going to live. He tells him that he's going to make him into a great nation. He tells him that he's going to bless him. He tells him that he's going to make him famous. He tells him that he's going to be a blessing to all nations. He tells him that he's going to be under a special protection and care. That anybody who blesses him will be blessed. And anybody who curses him will be cursed. And there is this, the grand promise that all the families of earth shall be blessed in him. And so Abraham takes off, or Abram takes off. He's not yet Abraham. At Shechem, now he's in Canaan, he gets to Canaan. I don't know how long it takes to get from Ur of the Chaldees to Canaan. And keep in mind that Abram is a wealthy man. He's got a lot of animals. He's got a lot of people in his camp. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe he's a hundred people traveling together uh, with all of these animals. And so at some point he finally arrives in Canaan. And at Shechem, uh, God appears to Abram a second time, and, and in this second time, there is the promise that's made to Abram that this land that he sees around him is going to belong to him. Now, it's already occupied by other people. It's not an empty land. That promise will not be fulfilled for, for a long time to come. It's going to be after the exodus that that land, that that promise is actually fulfilled. But the promise is made there... And Abram's response to that promise is that he worships God. Okay, the phrase that's used in Scripture is that he calls on the name of the Lord, which is what we do here in worship. We're calling on the name, or we're calling on the name of the Lord. All of creation has been put in place for the praise of God's glorious grace. And here in the story of Abram, we see this beginning. 
Yahweh has made himself known to some uh, otherwise obscure pagan uh, in what would now be, uh, uh, you know, Iraq. And he leads him into a new country. And then the praise, the calling on the name of the Lord begins. The purpose of the people of Israel is to bring praise to God. Last week we were together talking about what the purpose of all of creation is. In the little bit of time that I have here, I want to talk a little bit about what's the purpose of all of Israel. Now we travel with Israel for all of these centuries and these generations. We know this story from the Exodus. I mean, in some sense, you know, the, the descendants of Abraham go down into Egypt. They go down into Egypt. Well, they go down there because there's famine and where they're living. But they end up becoming enslaved in Egypt. And so God, by a mighty deed, pulls his people up out of Egypt, takes them into the Sinai. There in the Sinai, they receive the law of Moses. Uh, and this combination of the Exodus event and the receiving of the law is what forms the national identity of these people. I mean, if you are a, a, a dispossessed bunch of slaves living in an alien country, your identity is not your own, but God gives them their own identity by pulling them out of that circumstance and then giving them a distinctive law. He then leads them into the promised land. So not only do they have uh, this distinctive event, they have the law, now they have a land. And then he gives them the kingdom. And then he gives them the temple. And all of this is to the praise of God's glorious grace. The purpose of Israel is to bring praise and glory to God. There are two prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah, who were writing during the time of exile after King David. I mean, King David is kind of the, the pinnacle of the of the kingdom of Israel. But after that, after that period, uh, the Babylonians come in and the people of Israel are taken again as slaves into another powerful kingdom. And Isaiah and Jeremiah are the prophets who are speaking to the people of God during this time of exile. And they have a number of important things to say about why the nation of Israel is important. And let me just read a few of these things uh, and then we will move on. This is Isaiah 43, verses 6 and 7. God speaking. God speaking to the dispersed, exiled uh, sons of Abraham. I will say, bring me my sons and daughters from afar. Bring me my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who was called to my name, whom I created for my glory. So the purpose that all of these, uh, the purpose of the existence of all of these descendants of Abraham is for the glory of God. And then I love a little, a little further down in that same passage, uh, we hear, uh, God say, I, I am Yahweh and beside me there is no other savior. Okay. So that's about the historical G, uh, the historical Israel. But Isaiah also talks about future Israel because uh, Israel is a permanent nation on this earth after Messiah returns. Um, and future Israel is going to include the inclusion, uh, will, will include the ingrafted Gentiles. Isaiah 60, 21. Your people shall all be righteous. They shall possess the land forever. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands. Why? 
that I might be glorified. So Isaiah is looking forward to the time when Messiah comes and the people return and there's an ingrafting of the, uh, of the Gentiles into the place. But the whole purpose of all of that is that God himself might be glorified. Isaiah 49.3 He said to me, You are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. And then Jeremiah, Jeremiah, you know, the, the kind of the prophet of doom, Jeremiah 13.11 He says, I made the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah declares the Lord that they might be for me a people a name, a praise, and a glory. I want to just jump over to the New Testament uh, because that that uh, passage there might remind you of something that Peter says to the whole church. Peter wrote two letters uh, in the New Testament. Both of them are to the universal church. We call them Catholic epistles. And in 1 Peter 2, 9... We hear Peter speaking to the whole church, which of course is a mixed church. It includes both Gentiles and Jews. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The existence of the church, which is the continuation of of God's calling of the nation of Israel, the existence of the church is for the proclaiming of the excellencies of God. That's why we're here. All right. So the the whole of the creation was made to bring glory to God, but then God also claims for himself a special people within all of this creation. It begins in Abraham. Later, after Jesus, God will graft in people from all over the world into that same promise. And the whole thing is for the the praise of his glorious grace, that we can proclaim the excellencies of the one uh, who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Each one of us has a story. And we have different stories because we've come from different experiences and from different backgrounds and from different places and from different neighborhoods. But each of us has a story. And God has been part of everyone's story in this room. For those who have been called to follow Jesus, one of the pieces of that story is that time when the light goes on And you understand the gospel. When you understand that, you know, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And you have understood that the wages of sin is death. And you understand that only by faith in Jesus Christ can we be relieved of the curse of the sin and the fall. Those of you who have come to know Christ as your Savior, those of you who have called on the name of Jesus uh, and received the Holy Spirit, for you, a central element in your history is that conversion experience. That There's a before and an after that conversion and experience. And as you reflect upon God's mercies in your life, sometimes some of those mercies are what have led up to your conversion. And I think about all of the people who were praying for me when I was lost and wandering in the wilderness. Okay, 
God was at work in my life before I came to Christ. And then after I came to Christ, I see God leading me into the path that He wants me to go in. And so, for uh, for a Christian, the conversion ends up being uh, the axis on which uh, on which our lives turn. All of our lives are uh, put into place for the praise of God's glorious grace. Let us pray, Father God. We honor you and we bless your name this day. And we pray that we might. Uh, Sing your praises, and I pray that uh, you might capture our hearts and our minds and uh, fill us with joy uh, in your presence. Lord, I thank you for watching over us and caring for our people. I pray that you give us new opportunities to sing your praises tomorrow, and I pray that we might live in, in light of the reality of the gospel. And I pray this in Jesus' name.